When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at savewithconrad.com. Wu Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Wu Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo wings! Yeah! Woo woo! Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to my world. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer, your friend and mine, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Jeff, how are you, man? Oh, you could probably do it without the Hall of Famer. I if mean, you're I- at it early this morning, you came out all froggy, ready to jump, whether Sylvia, Sylvia, Silver, Cassio in your corner. You're ready to joust today is what I hear. You're ready to joust. We've got a nice topic. Going to go back to the United Center, but you're coming out swinging. That's just what I've heard. Little birdie told me. I wouldn't say all that. I would say that we're going to have a lot of fun this week though, because, uh, we're not just recording a podcast here. We're also going to be talking about ad free shows, top guy weekend in Chicago, which is always a good time. We had our first top guy weekend last year at the Hyatt Regency in Schaumburg doing it again this year, but this year there's a special wrinkle. We're getting together for a good cause. Yes, we got plenty of stuff that you can't buy a ticket to. You've got to be a member and a top guy over at Ad Free Shows. But we're getting together for Mongo. We're doing a very special fundraising event, all for Steve McMichael, the former real Four Horsemen member. And uh, in addition to that, one hell of a football player. We're talking about Steve Mongo McMichael, and we're doing a little fundraising effort at MoneyForMongo.com. One hundred percent of your donation goes directly to Mongo. It doesn't go to Jeff. It doesn't go to me. It doesn't go to fight. It goes 100% straight to Mongo. And we want you to make a donation over at moneyformongo.com. Now, what are we doing? Well, we're doing a podcast super show. And I mean, the biggest one we've ever done. It's not just Jeff and I, it's Eric Bischoff. It's Tony Schiavone. It's Jim Ross. It's Rick Flair. And it's Mick Foley 
all on the same stage, telling stories and trying to entertain you all for a great cause money for mongo.com. Now, if you can't make it to Chicago, no big deal. Watch it on fight at money is where you can make a donation, but everybody's got fight, right? F I T E, uh, is where you find fight. It's a, a, an easy download for any of your apps or your smart devices, or just watch it on your browser. F I T E is fight. But money for Mongo, man, this Saturday, 1230 central local Chicago time. I don't know what to expect with you and Ric Flair and Mick Foley and Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. That's like a who's who, man. Think about that. You got the whole main event of Ric Flair's last match really there. The the big issue with you two guys. And of course, Eric's had some fun run-ins over the years with, uh, with Rick and who could forget all the craziness that's happened between you and Jim Ross or Mick Foley and Tony Schiavone, this should be a lot of fun, man. What do you expect? I cannot wait when everything started to come together and you were, uh, telling me about another ride we're jumping on, but, uh, money for Mongo, absolutely great calls. I'm sure we're going to be discussing four horsemen. Me and Jr. maybe, uh, can revisit some old stories. Me and the nature boy, we may lock it up one more time. You never know. No, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing my old pal, Tony Schiavone on stage as well. So, uh, going to be a lot of fun. Uh, great calls as you stated. And, uh, man, what a ride it's been as of late, uh, Conrad, I mean, Dallas and going out West this weekend, uh, the day after money for Mongo and Nostalgia works not only in professional wrestling, but baseball this past weekend. Uh, lots of uh, lots of moving parts, as we say. And your nonsense last week at the steakhouse. I'm not real sure what we should cover off the top here. I, I really don't, but I'm glad you started with Money for Mongo. Money for Mongo, man. It happens this Saturday. We really want you guys to, uh, to come out and see us, make a donation. I want to be clear. It's free, y'all. We're not charging you for this podcast super show. We want you to make a donation to Mongo. Uh, by the way, of course it is tax deductible. It is a, a charitable cause. I mean, we, we want you to, to help somebody who needs some help. And right now, Mongo in real life, y'all is in the fight of his life with ALS. And if you've seen any recent pictures of Mongo, you know, man, that disease is kicking his butt right now. And every little bit helps. I've been fortunate enough to be speaking with his lovely wife, Misty earlier today. And man, I got some more information about you know, what's covered and what's not covered and what they need help with. And they need all the help we can get their way. So please consider money And, uh, don't forget to check us out on fight this Saturday at 1230 central one thirty Eastern. And right after that, the Chernoff boys, who you and I think a lot of are putting together a little program called the wrestling showcase. All the information is available for that as well. If you go to fight F I T E tickets are on sale now, though, if you just Throw it in your browser. You'll find the Eventbrite site wrestling showcase. That's all happening this Saturday. Of course, on Sunday night, everybody in the wrestling world is going to be focused on all out, but you are going to be catching a super early or very late night, uh, flight on Saturday because, uh, you're going to be on stage again, doing a little yakky, yakky, talky, talky. I think it's called PAX. West is that right? It's a big Pax deal. West. It, yeah, I was did Pax East, which was in Boston. It's uh, they're the two biggest. There's TwitchCon and there's other different gaming 
uh, conventions and gatherings, if you will. But PAX is right up there at the tip top and uh, very fortunate. You know, we did podcast movement last week. So I was at a podcast convention with you and you took up all of our time in the panel. But uh, this this podcast, I mean, this panel, I'm going to be out with James Deegan, my partner uh, in Moonsault Digital. He uh, is the founder of Megacat, which created Russell Quest. I say all that to say the panel is about professional wrestling and gaming and the history of wrestling and gaming. So, uh, James is the expert in gaming. Uh, I got a little knowledge on the wrestling side. So yeah, uh, going to be doing a panel out, out, out West really, really looking forward to that Conrad. Uh, like I said, maybe I'll be able to get a few words in and there won't be another Conrad Thompson on stage that, I mean, me and Eric sidebarred, did you like, did you come up for air for that entire uh, 75 minute panel? You did not sidebar with Eric Bischoff. Yes, I did. I sidebarred with him uh, before, during, and after because you kept talking. I mean, at the steakhouse, we predicted it. We said, hey, I guarantee you tomorrow. I get this is when you were flipping around with TV stations and going from CBS to TBS. All right, said, hang on, hang Eric, on. Let's just take I a said, time. Eric, hold on. Right I said, now. Eric, do you think that, that we'll get to talk at all? He goes, no. He said, that's why I I'm not even prepping for it. We won't say a word. Conrad will talk for all 75 minutes. And you did. He didn't. He, first of all, it's 45 minutes, <laughs> but, but he didn't say that. Uh, but I'm glad that somebody was there to keep the train on the tracks. Cause you'd still be fucking rambling on knowing you, <laughs> uh, but no, really, uh, we did have maybe the best, one of the best turnouts we've ever had at podcast movement. Greatly appreciate all the support. It turned into a meet and greet after it's just an honor to be asked to go speak at podcast movement. I think this was the fourth or fifth time I've been fortunate enough to do it. Uh, but man, you guys are my, my right-hand guys when it comes to that, because it's easy for us to talk about what we're doing with our shows and ad free shows and all that. And then afterwards that evening, we got to do something pretty fun. Uh, or I guess it was the night before, actually the we night got, before uh, I, I thought we were going to a nice steak dinner, which you bat a thousand, um, on picking restaurants, but I thought the, the meal was actually going to be for us to discuss the panel. Nope. As you say, check that off. That didn't happen. <laughs> no, listen, I, I knew here's the reality. Like, uh, at this point we've done enough of those just discussions and, and, and presentations. The rationalization about what, why we didn't talk. This is a rationalization. I know uh, seriously before. Cause I know, you know Eric and I were there meeting with agencies all day. You were playing grab ass in Hendersonville or whatever. So you <laughs> ease in just to make sure you get your fancy photo for social. I see how it is. And then we, we both make sure we alligate our arm and let Dave green pick up a tab for once, yes, which sir. was great. I loved all that. Uh, but, uh, Eric and I, he was like, Hey, do, do we need, we have a format. And I said, do you think we need one? He goes, no, I just know we can get up there and just talk at second nature. We don't need yeah. to prep for what we do. And so I kind of thought that would be it, but I know you are very much, Hey, I want to prep. I want to plan. I want to get ready. That's not a negative, by the way, it's a great thing. Uh, but I knew that's eh, not really going to be necessary. I didn't know the steakhouse would be as noisy as it was, uh, <laughs> but I was really glad that they positioned us in a table near the bar, not just because Eric Bischoff could run her ragged, getting some more Coors lights, but I knew <laughs> I could probably sweet talk our way into getting that TV change. So instead of watching some golf rerun, I asked for TBS, but it's so loud. They thought I said CBS. This and, is a, and my world listeners. This is one of the funniest nights of all. If you could have seen Conrad Thompson when he went to the trouble and do you want appetizers and can I get you more water? And have you looked at the menu? Hey, can I tell you about the specials? And literally you have to talk this loud to make the order. Yes. And Conrad whispers, 
he didn't whisper. He's actually talking. Hey, will you change that channel to TBS? And the lady said, oh, certainly. And all of a sudden you see on the big screen. What was that show? It was TV? Big Brother. They were showing Big Brother on CBS, <laughs> not AEW on TBS. And what's funny is as soon as I said it, you and Eric are both like, is this real? But here's the reality. Earlier in the day, we had all been talking about what are they going to do tomorrow? Like, what's this going to look like tomorrow? And then more importantly, what rating do they want? I mean, we we're wrestling nerds. So we're having that conversation just independently. And even our friend, uh, who I guess we could spill the beans cause she posted it. Dorian goes, I can't believe we're in this nice of a steakhouse watching wrestling. And I'm like, well, I just had to ask and ta-da, there it is. Because here's the thing. None of us were able to actually watch it full time. We all had to sort of twist our head and just glance up and see what was going on. Well, so our pal, Dave green's there and we know the main event is starting at the top of the second hour and literally immediately he goes, well, it's over. And we're all like, wait a minute. What? So then it becomes, where are they going with this? What is this going to do? That was fun. And then the next day we started to discuss first thing in the morning, as we're going to our different agency meetings, what's the rating going to be. And Eric said his number. And when he did, you immediately had pause like, Oh, I didn't think Eric was going to say that. I need to think about my number. And I called it and you're going to give me my props. I said thousand fifty or a million fifty. And it was a million forty nine. If I was on prices right, I'd have fucking nailed it. Come on. Conrad, it it truly pains me to give you your flowers. <laughs> <laughs> truly. But when that number came out, I'm just like Son of a gun, but he did. Oh, Connie nailed it, pal. Take you to Vegas. Take you to Vegas. I mean, it was close. I was so, uh, I was grinning like a possum the rest of the day. Cause here I got these two TV executives who've done all this stuff on TV and my dumb hillbilly ass nails it. Uh, oh, so it was fun. It was fun watching Dorian, watch us discuss it and, and all that great food coming. And I didn't want to come up for air, but we kept the conversation rolling though. That was a fun night. That was a fun night. And uh, it was a fun podcast pod panel. That was a lot of fun. And then the next day, another fantastic lunch where again, it's man versus food. And let, let me explain what man versus food with Jeff means. When you travel with Jeff, my favorite part is you get to watch him eat. <laughs> so my man orders a shrimp cocktail, not for the table, his own. And then he has a soup. And then he has a salad, not a soup or a salad, both. And then he has a prime rib. Uh, and, and then he has two sides and then he's like, I'm not eating dessert. Oh, that, that sorbet <laughs> looks pretty good. Give me one of those. Oh, and of course, unsweet tea, but you did give me a pack of candy that I have yet to reveal to Megan that someone oh, gifted okay. us. Uh, yeah. it's the most maybe unbelievable bag of candy you've ever seen in your life. It's a. Uh... It's a conversation piece. It's a conversation starter. And, and, you know, in a lot of ways, it, the integration could be put into this show. At well, some point you will integrate it into today's show. There's your Easter egg folks. Okay. The, the name of the, uh, of the candy, the label on the candy packet, which you would probably most often see at a bachelorette party. I will reference at some point in the show. I won't tell you that was the name of it, but you'll know it when you hear it. Easter egg, Easter egg coming your way. And, and, and our Easter egg today is going to be buried in a show called SummerSlam 1994. 
And there's a lot to unpack here. I just want to give everybody another peek behind the curtain. Jeff Jarrett is the biggest basketball junkie there ever was. And everybody knows Chicago and specifically the United center. That's the house that Jordan built, but he left before he really got to do much there because he retires because this SummerSlam 94 is one of the first events that happens there. And he's piddling around in Birmingham, Alabama, trying to play baseball. But somehow Jeff Jarrett finds himself on that pay-per-view as he always does. And he's, <laughs> and he's working with a fellow known as Mabel. Now in real life, this is Nelson Frazier. He's got his man, Mo with him. And they're the, the Harlem Knights is what they're called in March of 93. When you first, I think, become acquainted with them. What do you remember about first meeting Mabel and Mo and and their time in Tennessee with you, Big Nelson. That's the first time as you know what. And and for the my world listeners that may or may not know, uh, Nelson is no longer with us. Uh, he passed away a uh, few years ago. Uh, and and here's Conrad. It's just kind of amazing when I go back and different things I remember. But I remember my father having a conversation on the phone uh, in in Hendersonville at the office. And hey, uh, son, uh, that's when he's real serious. Uh, we've got uh, two guys starting a TV. They're driving over from the Carolinas. Okay, dad. Uh, and I was at a spot show on Fridays like usual. And he would be driving down. Uh, a lot of times he'd come in on Friday nights, but many, many times if he wasn't whatever, he'd get up in Nashville early on a Saturday morning and drive down to TV. So he's leaving the house at six o'clock, rolling there about nine thirty or 10, but he was giving me the heads up. The two guys are starting. They may be there before I get there. Welcome them and all that. Conrad in uh, Memphis studio, Memphis TV, 1960 Union Avenue. Um, basically the break room, uh, you know, when you have corporate areas, uh, but TV studios, it had probably four little small tabletops and two vending machines and a sink and a coffee maker and all that, just a real simple. And then a, a hallway and had two green rooms, which were really like small bathrooms. That was really what the backstage of Memphis TV was. So, uh, you came in a side door and I got there early, probably rode with Eddie or whatever. We get there early in tapes and you have to kind of get the production going and Bob, the floor director. So everything gets going and I walk in the back and there is Bobby. Bobby Horn, which is, uh, Mo, um, and that we know as Mo, but, uh, Nelson, who later became Mabel, he was sitting down in the chair. You talk about a big man and I'm 200 pounds, maybe at this point, maybe a little bit more, but I mean, he was enormous, but had just the, he looked like a 1986 to me, the first time I saw it, and this is where I'm going with it. The first time I saw him, it is a 1986 Hulk Hogan opponent. One man gang. Yes. Big false man. I mean, you know, we could go Kamala, go through this, but he was ginormous, huge, man, nice as can be. But that's my first impression. Drove over from the Carolinas. Uh, God, I'd like to try to do the math at how old Nelson was in 1993, but he was a young man and, uh, Bobby had brought him over, but man, just the nicest guys. And we had just come off, uh, a long run with the moon dogs and he was 22, Jeff. He's 22 when I met him. Yeah. Yeah. So he was born in 71. So in 93, he was 22. 
Wow. Young guy. But anyway, um, wow. I didn't realize. Okay. Four years younger than me. Uh, but, but, um, it was cool. It was really cool to meet him and that started our relationship. And obviously you can imagine Jared, Jared walking in and, you know, one of the first things, damn, you're even bigger than your picture showed. Cause he was a big man and we were excited to get him in the territory. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Uh, he debuts with the USWA and very early on, he's teaming with uh, Ryan Christopher and six mans and then their debut on TV. Well, Meltzer had this to say the main event was set up with a six man squash on TV on March 13th with the Knights and Christopher destroying two jobbers who had to be carted out. Actually, Christopher spent most of the match relaxing on Dave Brown's desk and the Knights destroying the jobbers. When it was three on one, Jeff Jarrett tried to become a partner with one of the jobbers. But soon they got rid of the jobber and were beating on Jira until Lawler and Davis made the save. They're billing the members of the Knights as 6'10, 525, as he was estimated to be 6'7 and 425 to 450. These two are really green as a team. The big one also nearly broke his ankle when he stood on the middle rope, ready to come off, and his uh, and at his weight, the the rope broke. With the middle rope useless, they still tried to whip their foes into the ropes for clotheslines, which can be pretty dangerous with the middle rope gone. So it says a lot about the mass of this human being just standing on the rope and oof, those Memphis ropes hadn't been put to that test in a long time. Buddy Wayne, I, I, I don't remember specifically, but I can only imagine him raising all kinds of hell, but this is a, a, such an accurate, I forgot that was day one at TV, but when, when Nelson came to, to Memphis and came to Tennessee, he was so green and he didn't even really, I mean, he didn't understand. I don't say this, uh, make sure he, he wasn't even completely aware of a ring presence and how, 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 how he had to be careful. He wasn't reckless. I just don't think he understood. Hey, if I sit on the second rope, it ain't holding me. You know, it, it certainly, you can't stand in the middle. Uh, maybe you can get over in a turnbuckle, but, uh, big Nelson, that was day one, uh, man, the presence and the, you know, the, what is it? 150 people in the studio. They immediately, and Brian Christopher can get heat over there on the st- uh, microphone. It was, it was his, their first few Memphis TVs. They got over to the crowd because they, Nelson was so big and Brian could talk and you could just kind of see things develop, uh, how they were going to. So we get to, uh, the six man against you Lawler and Danny Davis in Nashville, the heels get the win, but within a couple of days, you're teaming with the big boss band to get a win in Memphis, that, that house, not the individual payday, the house was 5,500. So the business is down for sure. But, But what do you remember about working with Nelson in these very early matches? I mean, Meltzer acknowledges that he's green and and I get that, but it feels almost David and Goliath with anybody when you're that size. So that's probably pretty easy for you. Or am I reading that wrong? No, he wanted to learn You're, I think, what was he like? Yes. Man, he wanted to learn so bad at great attitude. 
soak, soak things up like a sponge. And, you know, a guy his size, he can hurt you by accident quickly. Uh, I mean, just real quick. He's so heavy, but he was agile and he was all business. He wanted to learn. He wanted to try things. But at times, uh, I mean, I can remember the first couple of times he uh, splashed me in the corner or just really like a, a, a running freight train in the corner. I mean, you talk about impact. <laughs> he just didn't really understand. He wasn't doing it on purpose, but he didn't have. Uh, so you can say he's stiff, but it wasn't on purpose. He just didn't have uh, it, it down. He didn't have the dance down. He's rough around the edges. Uh, not like I said, not on purpose, but he would uh, put his weight into you and you felt it had no choice. Uh, in Louisville, the baby faces get a six man win over the Knights and Christopher, and you get transitioned over into feuding with Sean Michaels. Who's going to be coming in while Lawler is going to marry up with the Knights as he'll be the one winding up, uh, teaming with boss man for a match. Um, the big monster heel losing to the King. I know you said that's a 1986 thing for the WWF and Hulk Hogan. It was kind of a Lawler thing too, right? You guys were always looking for monsters for Lawler. Lawler 82. Yeah. I saw some spot show matches with Lawler and Mabel that you just kind of Lawler had such a knack of putting a guy over at the beginning of the match and putting him over a little bit more. And then just when you think Lawler is going to have a little flurry of offense, then they actually start into the heat and Lawler's such a good seller and build it and build it. And he's talking to Nelson and walk and talk and get heat and do this and do that literally got him through. And when the match is all said and done, Lawler pulls the strap down a, a couple of hard rights, and then they go into a finish. So Nelson probably takes one big bump and that's the finish. But nowadays, and I, I'm not trying to go this route, but you know, the work rate would be, he only took one bump and there'd be all kind of criticism that Nelson couldn't do this or Nelson couldn't do that. But in the arena and a spot show that night or whatever it may be, everybody in everybody in the building was on their feet cheering for Lawler. And when they, when he won the place exploded. So simple psychology, but Nelson learned an awful lot from Lawler on how to work like a big man is specifically during heat. If you want to learn how to work like a big man, you need to get some blue chew talking about that ding dong daddy. You know, uh, as you heard Jeff say, Nelson was so stiff. He didn't even know it. Well, that's the way your penis is going to be. Come on, boys and girls, you know, the deal with blue chew. You've heard us talk about it forever. Why haven't you tried it already? Listen, blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Take these dudes anytime, day or night. You can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And the process is simple. You sign up at bluechew.com. You consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part. It's all done online. That means skip the visit to the doctor's office. No more awkward conversations and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Bluechew's tablets are made in the USA. They're prepared and shipped directly to your door, all in a discreet package. But there won't be anything discreet about your package. Hurry up. Go to bluechew.com right now. We've got a special deal for our listeners. You can try Bluechew free when you use our promo code MYWORLD. Just pay the $5 shipping and use that promo code MYWORLD at checkout. That's it. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is MYWORLD to receive your first month free. 
Just visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. We thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast and Jeff Jarrett's Wiener Meat. Uh, so now let's talk about what we're doing next. We got the, in Memphis, boss man's not going to show up. So you wind up doing back-to-back matches, teaming with Lawler in a loss by DQ. And then you're going to work in the main event and lose to Shawn Michaels for the IC title. These sort of things where guys just no show don't happen all that often on TV these days, but in the territory days, especially when. I mean, let's be clear. Boss man's not here as his first choice. It's a favor when he no shows, is that just par for course? And you gotta be, well, let's just get something else together. Right. Quick pal. What's the thinking there? So <clears throat> it's not like, uh, what's your, what's the Eric better, better than less than or different than. Yeah. So you have to plug somebody in. I yes. don't remember the sp- specific instance, but this is one of those things. Boss man, obviously full-time job with WWE, um, for whatever reason we knew going in, he wasn't going to make it. So who are you going to put as Lawler's partner is kind of by deduction and whether Bossman had an appearance or overseas or another booking or an off day that he was promised. It was like, okay, he can't be there. And when, you know, we, we might have found out, look, Memphis on a Monday, the following Tuesday is when this card is going to take place because of the bicycle tape. So we cut those promos nine days out. So, you know, we've got nine days. I'm not saying whenever we found out, but once the promotion's out, then you go, okay, he's not going to be there. So for whatever reason, Ballspan was, it wasn't there. Sean was, that was an advertised main event. So my gut tells me the old man says, you're working twice a night. Yes, sir. Okay. I am. (laughs) Well, here we go. Um, Let's talk about in Louisville, you're teaming with the boss man who this time shows up. There's 1100 fans. Uh, you got Sean Michaels and Jerry Lawler on top and you know, you're starting to see through all these cards, Nelson get more reps. And I know that a lot of us grew up with, with Mabel, but oftentimes we would see him work like a giant. And that's the thing we get to hear. But we also hear sometimes these guys are so young and so athletic, like say, for instance, the big show, we hear that the dude could do a, a nip up or kip up or whatever you want to call it, that he could do a shooting star press that he did at the power plant, that he could do missile drop kicks. I think we saw one of those in WCW Now, just because you can in wrestling and sometimes in life doesn't necessarily mean you should. Did you see any real life athleticism that made you think, man, he can do a lot more than say a King Kong Bundy had, had really been required to do, or what could you speak to about his physicality at just 22 years old? He, he was much quicker than, you know, than he ever showed because he was kind of taught move like a big man, you know, methodical, if you will. He didn't have the athletic ability, you know, to jump over on Paul, you know, Paul, former basketball player. And I, I say that as I'm a basketball junkie, but that's to me, the athleticism of that Nelson just had, I don't want to say he was cut out to be a wrestler, but he was, he had facials and, uh, when he became Mabel in the rap, I, I knew from the beginning, his personality, as far as the animated face. I just think there were shades of Nelson Frazier as, as, as a talent in in Memphis that was super flamboyant 
flamboyant is probably not the right word, but but he he had great energy. He had a lot of energy in his facials, and I want to say a kick-ass monster, but just more more a lot more energy that came out of him that he never saw once he became Mabel. Mabel was, and then as he you know progressed through his career, but but early Nelson, coached by Lawler when they were working. And then I would try to mimic what Lawler also do is like, Hey man, get on me, but, but get, get, get vicious and, and let the people see your face and get aggressive. You know, I probably said that word to him more than any word. I said, I said, Nelson, you got to get aggressive. Got to get aggressive. That doesn't mean hurt me, but you got to get aggressive and reckless. Uh, but er, there were shades of that in Memphis that I wish he could have continued to grow in that type character. Well, we know that, uh, first family is going to be reformed. This was originally, of course, Jimmy Hart's gimmick. Uh, we got Mike Sanders as the manager and, uh, the Knights are, are going to be there with Scotty Flamingo, who we know will eventually be Raven and Brian Christopher. They're going to take on Lawler's army, which is you, uh, of course, Jerry Lawler, the moon dogs and Richard Lee. This is nostalgia one oh one here, you know, a team of. Uh, Jimmy Hart's crew, the first family against the team of Jerry Lawler's crew. That's just uh nostalgia for that Memphis area. Is it not? It is. And you can tell that, like I said earlier, we came off a run with the moon dogs, maybe two, three years. And we brought them back as babyface. I don't think this is the first time they were baby faces, but you know, t- territories down, no money. Uh, at this point, Lawler is going back and forth to, uh, the WWF at the time. Um, 92, 93, I had started making some shots, not a lot, but for, you know, just the territory was so down, but the, you know, the Lawler's army versus hearts army. Yes. It's nostalgia one-on-one, but with a new twist, uh, a couple of new twists in there. Uh, it is cool that, you know, all of a sudden, uh, the moon dogs and the Knights are out of Memphis after just, you know, one week and one match. Did you expect Mabel and Moe to wind up in the WWF as quickly as they did? I said earlier, when I first saw Nelson, to me, he had monster heel Mm -hmm. for for Hogan or or a baby face, whoever it may be. But I, I, that's, he just had that presence about him and the athletic ability. Once you see him work a couple of times, you know, you just say, all right, there's a run in him get, get the right creation, get the right gimmick. You know, at that time that that's when there were so many characters that were prevalent that it had that late eighties run. And it's like, I put a good character on him, whether it's WCW or WWF and he's got to run in him, his size alone and his willingness to learn. He's just going to get better. And my dad also, he had a, he really, really liked him in the early days. I mean, really, I know he sung his praises to Vince many, many times. Well, not long after they do a, uh, a dark match for WWF TV, they're brought back to Memphis. Is it just more an issue of these guys got to have more reps? They're not ready for the prime time yet. I mean, that's probably you know, to be expected, right? Our, our good old pal, Bruce, I'd love to hear Bruce's recollection just because I, my, my, my best recollection of all of it was let's bring them up. Let's look at them. If they like their in-ring work, all right, then let's start them in the sheen and figure out character development. And I believe that's what happened because that's where Oscar came along that Oscar had rap for some folks. And I think he personally rapped for Vince McMahon in an elevator. Yep. 
Okay. Yeah. So, so, so that's how things work. Creative works. Okay. This guy can rap and Hey, Mr. McMahon, let me lay it on you. Hey, I just saw those guys at two TPs back that, that, uh, that, that may fit them that may fit the bill. And they just, you know, made the connection. Uh, that to me is what I remember happening. I want to mention that, uh, you know, we do actually see the debut it's, it's taped for TV in June of 1993 and it airs in July of 1993. It's Mabel and Mo with Oscar. They're going to be the rapping tag team men on a mission. M O M. what do you think of the gimmick? I mean, I, I guess I want to back this up when the first time I can see uh, him being Mabel, we're talking about doing stuff with you guys in Memphis. That would have been, does this sound right? Like March. Of, uh, of 93 with us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. About that. And, and now fast forward just three months later, in said, ju- yeah, it was in quick. June, he's, he's doing dark matches and, and, and even would, would have a, a television match taped that airs in July. So it's very, very quick. And again, we're talking about a 22 year old man, uh, and, and, and wrestling. And I mean, just gosh, everything sometimes just in life, there's a phrase, is it too much too soon sort of deal? I mean, for him to really debut with you at the end of March and then May 4th, he has the start match. I mean, that's like, you're just getting going and you're already on TV and it's, he's a 22 year old and it's probably not easy to travel. And there's a lot going on. Was this too much too soon for him? Do you think? I definitely think so. But if you take a step back and Conrad, you've done many more podcasts, gosh, hundreds, if not thousands, but I'm sure in talking to Bruce or Jr. and y'all have covered 91, 92, 93, the state of the industry yes, it was down. I mean, it was down, 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 down. And this is certainly the end of the Hogan era. Uh, and you know, the steroid trial and WCW wasn't setting the world on fire. And I know ad sales and, you know, we'd come off the Dallas, you know, the whole, the story, but at the very core of all of this is that no independent wrestling, um, two major companies and the, the folks that had, when you look at us being the last territory and Austin didn't come through and Taker had come through and Godfather and Steiner and the folks we've covered on here, but kind of that pipeline of talent that had gone through that it had had some seasoning. Now we were at the point of 93. Hey man, they're working Memphis. They look good. Let's try them. I mean, it wasn't even pump the brakes and say, Hey, let's give them six more months in Memphis. I mean, Nelson literally was working independence at the beginning of 93. I mean, I hate to even call it independence in those days. I was always taught. It was called outlaw wrestling. Yes. There were there weren't any territories except ours, uh, maybe remnants of a few here and there. Uh, Dallas was pretty, I mean, j- there was just nothing there. So outlaw wrestling. So the reality is Nelson went from waking up on Christmas morning, 92 and maybe hitting an outlaw show and six months he's on WWF programming. <laughs> so the answer to your question is absolutely too much too soon. So not only that, he's also a very large individual who's trying to, I mean, nobody thinks about this, but to rent a, to rent a car. And that's part of the gig here. You've got to have a credit card and you've got to be 25 years old. 
Think pro- about that. He probably has neither. He's a big television star and a hawking man, but he's 22 years old. So he probably doesn't have a credit card. And even if he does, he's not 25. So you might be big enough to main event a pay-per-view, but not big enough to rent a car here at our car rental desk at Avis. Welcome Bobby Horn, my man, Bobby. But I mean, that was the duo that Bobby was older, more seasoned, more business-minded. That was always the yin and the yang of them two and complimented each other very, very well. But his partner, Bobby Horn, Mo, uh, he's the one that, you know, that was a part uh, of the tag team. And both of them understood that. Talk to me a little bit about um, the rapping gimmick. You know, the, the WWF had not really ever tried it, uh, but WCW had. And depending on who you listen to, was PN News a success or a failure? I think as far as an in-ring performer goes, most people would say he's probably not going to win a lot of top 10 list nominations. But there was a time where PN News was getting big crowd reactions because Hip hop had started to become more and more popular. It was no longer just gangster rap. Now you had acts like Criss Cross, and it was rap aimed at kids. And, and that's an emerging market, if you will, at the time. And Vince trying to keep up with the times says, Hey, if this is catching on and there's your OMTV raps and all that, well, let's, let's do that. And what they came up with was men on a mission. Now the trouble is. All the hip hop gimmicks and wrestling at that point, including this one, in my opinion, was pretty lame, but that's what the context of looking back in 2022, you were a young man at the time. What did you think of the presentation? Was it a quote unquote, good gimmick or was this just bad right away? I loved Oscar. I thought he was charismatic, but I knew and I called him. I knew Nelson and Bobby different, and I would not have ever thought. And look, I'll take VKM's batting average any day of the week. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any day of the week. But I knew those guys, and I, I just really felt, oh, man, they're missing the boat on on Nelson. They're really missing the boat on Mabel because – he just wasn't a hip hop guy. He wasn't a dancing guy. He wasn't a gregarious, fun-loving talent, if if you will, that would kind of fit into this. Now I get it, Vince and Bruce and Pat and and the team. That's okay. They'll grow into it. But Nelson wasn't seasoned enough as a performer, as far as tackle, drop down, get it again. Just his in ring presence. So him being unsure of himself as an in ring performer, and then on top of that having to act, that's what it is, having to be a, a, a someone that he wasn't, uh, having just that shred of his personality. It might have been there if you dug down deep. I don't think. I never really saw it, uh, but but it certainly never came out. I, I wasn't a fan of, of those two doing the rap gimmick. I thought Oscar had charisma. I, I thought it was a, a unique, at the time, he could resonate, and when – you know, Oscar would get going in, in live events, house shows. He'd get them up and going, but their tag team didn't follow up the rap, if you will. Uh, so I, I wasn't a big fan of of the, the rap with those two guys. Now let's just take a timeout from talking about Mabel and Mo and all that for just a minute. 
how I'm just trying to process this. Cause we've talked about it before here. You are, you've been wrestling in Tennessee. You've been wrestling in Texas. You know, you've been on TV, you've been on ESPN, uh, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad grown up in the business all around it. And this joker is in wrestling for a cup of coffee and he's on WWF TV before you are. And I don't know at this point, if you knew it or not, but you've told us before that once upon a time, you learned that maybe you did have an opportunity to go sooner and your dad held you back and said, you weren't ready. And in hindsight, that was probably a blessing, but at the time, that's probably hard to wrap your head around when it's like, damn dad, I'm doing all this for the, for the family business. And I'm not making any money and I'm not moving along as fast as I want to. And I know you now at, at double nickels, not a ton of patience. Can't imagine you had a lot more when you were 22. It, it feels as if this could have been very frustrating to see someone seemingly pass you and get fast tracked. And it's not based on how much time they've invested in their craft or how much time they've invested in the weight room or how much time they've spent under the learning tree or working matches or making towns or any cliche you want to make. And boom, he's on TV just cause he's a big old boy. Part of that has to rub you the wrong way. Even if at the time you don't have the same vision you have now. Right? So this is 2003, right? This is 1993. I bet. Yeah. No, my bad. 1993 Conrad. And I'm not putting me on his level, but do you know when I had my very first match with Shawn Michaels? It was around this era, right? Oh, okay. 80, 80, 88. Oh, okay. Back in Texas. No, they came through a short stint and then went to, uh, went, went to WWF, got fired and then I made mean, the loop again. I got you made the loop again. And I, I'm pointing this out. I think Sean, obviously Scott Steiner. Now Steiner at 93 was a big Japan superstar. Uh, I'm going to go Steve Austin undertaker Godfather. Um, I mean, I could go through a whole list of guys from. 88, 89, 90, 91, 92. During this era, remember uh, Steve Dahl and Rex King? Well done. This is about the same era that they went up and, and got jobs. Um, I mean, we could go through a laundry list. At this stage, Conrad, you talk about pay, uh, running out of patience for sure. But this is, you know, October of this year is when Double J debuted. So, 91, 92, that's when, you know, coming when Texas, when the Von Erics did their, maybe one of the dumbest business moves in my uh, career, for sure. When all that went away, which went, which made all the syndication money evaporate overnight and my bank uh, account started going back the other way. That's when I'm like, what am I doing here? I mean, it was not, not working for my, you know, family territory, but it's like dad, Jerry, this is going against every fundamental that you've taught me. And my grandmother taught me, uh, this, this ain't working out. It ain't drawing. And I'm not saying you should pay me what I'm not drawing, but new horizons are, are, are needed. And so that was a part of the conversation, but yes, um, there's a there, there's a few uh, more talent in '93 that that got jobs that had come through our territory like quickly, and it was just you know 
Excellent point, Connie. But that is for sure. You, you hit the nail on the head with what, where my mindset was. So now you eventually, you know, get to join the company late 93. Uh, let's fast forward a little bit. It's March of 94. And it's reported that Mabel fell on Pierre, AKA PCO. He accidentally does this. Of course, no one would intentionally hurt anybody. We're not accusing anyone of that. Uh, but he doesn't kick out and they win the tag team titles on a show in London at Royal Albert hall. And this was not supposed to be the plan, but when an injury happens, well, it happens. Do you remember you were on this show? You beat Coco beware in a match right before you remember hearing about this incident, Royal Albert hall. Correct. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a bucket list. That's a, 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 you know, it's a small, uh, arena. It's a hall as, as this title calls it, but I just, and look, Coco, one of my dad's all time favorite, I got to wrestle him in Royal Albert hall, me and Owen were traveling together. It was, it was a, it was a fascinating card, but as far as look, Mabel had come into the territory, um, green, uh, this is at the very beginning. I'll say the beginning, but really early in the new generation, which was the new branding, uh, you know, the predecessor to the attitude era. So a lot of new talent were coming in a lot of moving parts. Jacques Rougeau, uh, ha had been around the block. He had worked in my father's territory back in the early eighties, but Pierre at this time was a, a new guy. So there was, I don't want to call it. I think unrest. I don't think there was a lot of heat on, on Mo and Mabel, but they were just green. Not that they were hurting folks, but just really, really green. And look, there was a whole group of talent jockeying for position. Now, Scott Hall was seasoned. Sean was seasoned. Brad Hart, obviously seasoned. Uh, Bam Bam uh, had come off his, uh, you know, Japan run and WWF run, and he was back. And just, there was a group of seasoned vets, but there was... Duke the Dumpster, Adam Bomb, I mean, you name it. There was a bunch of talent. I was one of those that had come in and where everybody was kind of jockeying for position. Bo and Mabel specifically were were two that were at times singled out as in, hate to say this, but quote unquote, they weren't ready. And there was some validity to that. So uh, eventually Mo gets injured in April and Mabel turns into a singles competitor. And in August, of course, we're building towards SummerSlam and it's announced that you two would be facing off uh, against each other from the United center in Chicago. I mean, you gotta be somewhat excited. I mean, this is a big pay-per-view your first SummerSlam, And you know, in my mind, it's always been Royal rumble or I'm sorry, WrestleMania number one, then SummerSlam, then Royal rumble. Would you agree with that? As far as the biggest three of the WWF pay-per-views, Mania, rumble, SummerSlam, survivor series. Yes. So it's a big deal, A, to be there, B, to be in such a big building, uh, in a wrestling town like Chicago, C, for it to be the United center and, and really one of the first events that's happening there, but it's not going to be a, a, a wrestling clinic. Were you disappointed to know that it was going to be a different style match? You're not going to get to show off what you can do against a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels on this platform. You're on the show, which is obviously great. And, and your character is, is clicking. And Hey, it's TV time, but it's not going to be probably the type of match you would want to have. Am I wrong in guessing that? So shout out to Derek researcher. Uh, he did a wonderful job as usual, except that one time. No kidding. Um, he, he really, the, the, looking back on all this and it, really thinking through everything. So I started in October of 93 with the vignettes. We run those 
I, I get out on the road and Vince is saying, we're going to build you on TV on live events, house shows, you know, we're going to, we're going to get you seasoned, but get you out and get exposed. We're going to do that for the next year. I think we have covered this on here, Conrad. I'm thinking for the next year, what the heck are you talking about? But anyway, that was kind of the order uh, of, of going forward. So, you know, May, June, uh, whatever it was, April, May, June, coming off mania uh, of 93 and, and, and all that. I mean, of 94 and the 10 man tag. All right, so where are we going with this? Well, when I found out that I was wrestling Mabel at the United Center, Undertaker versus Undertaker, um, you know, we'll get into the card in a little bit. It's a stack card, Brett Nolan, Sean and Kevin and all that. And I'm facing Mabel and it was kind of discreetly. I was in the know that you're going to get a win here. Conrad, I kind of was like, okay, the boss has got his plan that double J is beaten a 500 pound giant. That's a pretty, pretty, pretty tall order, a good win. And it, it, it was a reassurance, if you will, that double J is doing all right. That was pretty exciting to me. And, you know, look, the, the, the cool stuff as far as United center and SummerSlam and everything that we'll get into, but just the fact that I was on the card in a slot with a win, that was great news for my career. No doubt about it. Uh, and it's great news for everyone listening that car shield has you covered. They're going to protect your wallet. They're protecting mine right now from expensive car repairs and they're sponsoring this program as well. Car shield is the number one auto protection company in the U S they offer protection plans for around a hundred bucks a month. And the plans cover more parts than ever before, whether your car has 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles. And let me tell you how simple it is to get your car fixed. When you need a repair, you choose the mechanic. And CarShield's administrators handle the rest. That's it. You don't have to deal with the paperwork or headaches you're taken care of. Same goes if your car breaks down or you're stuck on the side of the road. Plans through CarShield also include coast-to-coast roadside assistance. CarShield administrators are there for you with rental car options and trip reimbursement at no extra cost too. Get coverage today and you'll lock in your price now and it will never go up. That means as long as you own your car, no matter how old it is, you're protected from the rising cost of parts and repairs for your vehicle. CarShield protects my wallet from expensive car repairs, and they'll do the same for you. Go to carshield.com slash podcast to start your plan and lock in your pricing forever. That's carshield.com slash podcast. A deductible may apply. So Meltzer mentions here, uh, the recap, uh, from, uh, August 15th, 1994. Actually, this is from Wade Keller. He says, Mabel defeated Raymond Roy. Jeff Jarrett then defeated Scott Taylor. As Jeff was celebrating his victory, Mabel's music began and Oscar wrapped to the ring accompanied by Mabel. Jarrett challenged Mabel to enter the ring, but WWF officials kept him from entering. McMahon hyped the match as country versus rap, which Wade correctly points out in some circles means Jeff Jarrett is the babyface. So. I get that we're trying to say, well, they both like different types of music. One's a rapper and one's a country music singer, but that almost asked the audience, not who do you like better? Who's the good guy or the bad guy? It's, Hey, do you like country music or rap music? And I would go so far as to say that this is the era of the country music explosion. Garth Brooks is touring all over the world and maybe the number one artist in the world. I don't know. 
And that's probably going to resonate with a large portion of the audience. And let's just call it like it is older white folks are going to like country music more. So therefore in a weird way, you become the baby face. That's an interesting way to position this match. Is it not? Not to the New Yorker mind. Uh, that was, you know, that the, the mindset, uh, was still the, the Northeast was still very prevalent thinking, uh, on that. And I'm not saying right or wrong, but in, in WWF creative, that thought never entered their mind. Oh, we're going to split the audience at all. Uh, you know, me and Bruce have joked, uh, through the years, you know, it, a lot of times in the early nineties, uh, there were folks within, <laughs> within creative services that still referred to country music as, as that country and Western music, which went out in early seventies. It wasn't called country and Western except way, way, way back. Right. So that, their mindset was not dividing the audience. It was the brash double J yada, yada, yada versus the cool hip hop emerging artist known as men on a mission. August 25th and 27th, we're on the, the road to Madison square garden. Uh, we've got uh, matches here at MSG Nassau and the Meadowlands. So working that New York market in a big way. And we've got, <laughs> this is real Jeff Jarrett teaming up with bam, bam, Bigelow to take on Mabel and doink each night. Now, when you're working with doink here, is it fair to say this is always Matt Bourne in these matches? No, Matt was no longer there. It was Ray, uh, Apollo. Ray Apollo. Yes. Yeah. So I'm curious if you had to describe what we're seeing right now, like, I just want everybody to pretend, you know, nothing about wrestling and you're going to describe what we're seeing here to a non-fan. We have a country music cowboy covered in neon and maybe some light up shit. And he's going to be teaming with a guy covered in flames, including his head. He's tattooed his head with flames and they're going to take on the largest black man you've ever seen who has a guy who wraps him to the ring. And this large African-American fellows tag team partner is a clown. That is the WWF in the summer of 1994. And I'm, I'm curious as someone who has grown up in the business. And now you look around and Hey, this is awesome, man. I'm in Madison square garden. I'm working the Meadowlands. I'm at you know Nassau Coliseum. There's a lot of really cool stuff happening here, but you're like, what the fuck? Right. I loved every minute of it, Conrad, because yeah, you, you, you hit on it right there at the end to put it in context. When you get your, those days, a stack of airline tickets. Yep. You get your booking sheet and you have, for lack of a better word, the A market and the B market. And, oh, you have the same hotel all three nights. You work in the Meadowlands in New Jersey. You work in MSG in Manhattan. And you're going to go over to Long Island, Long Island and work Nassau Coliseum back to back to back nights. Conrad, I'm used to driving about 250 miles in between shots and I'm, 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 you know, so that that's one thing. The other thing is it's a WWF payoff at the time. Obviously they'll go way up in the attitude era, but still good payoffs, but it is, 
I don't say the early days because that's not accurate, but I couldn't help but stand in the middle of the ring and say, well, I fought Moondogs for a lot less money and they were gimmicked up. And I've seen big, uh, big Nelson, big, big Mabel over there. I've seen him down in Tennessee as the Harlem Knights. Uh, I've seen Bam Bam Bigelow come through with Larry Sharp and he came through the territory early in the days. Uh, I knew my old buddy, Matt Bourne when he was maniac, Matt Bourne, but he came up here and made a lot of money as going to clown, but that didn't work out. Now we have Ray under there. I'll take the money. I'll take the less miles. And then I'll just take the showbiz component of it. It was, you kind of did a really good job, a job of describing it. Just think about entrances alone. That's Entr unbelievable. I mean, it's entertaining and, and we're not and done and Ray in real life are good friends, right? They worked. We all, we worked good together. The match, look, it wasn't a five-star Matt classic like Will Ospreay, but it was a hell of a tag match. All right. You, you brought it up. I wasn't going to bring it up, but you brought it up. I, I just, you just I, what? Topical. Well, how's it topical? It wasn't a five-star match. It's all I'm going to say is me and Mabel did not have a five-star match. Well, let's talk about it for a minute. Oh, here we go. I folks, you did listening it. on audio. If you could have seen the look on Conrad's face when I just train of thought said those words, five star, he went, whoop, whoop. An account on Twitter called at wrestling banana. <laughs> this is a gotcha moment. Here we go. Pointed Stand out over the weekend. Will Ospreay has had more five-star matches for in one month than CM Punk, John Cena, and Kurt Angle have had combined in their careers three. So of course this got a lot of people talking because there is, there has been criticism of Meltzer star rating and the validity of it and why people pay so much attention to it. And, you know, is it real? Is it not? Is it something we should, you know, respect or appreciate it? Whatever. And Kevin Nash chimed in, he logged into social media. And by the way, he has a fantastic podcast. Highly recommend everybody go check it out. It, nice. It's called click this with Sean Oliver. It comes out on Mondays and through this discourse where he's scrolling through Twitter, he sees this tweet. Will Ospreay's had more five-star matches in one month than CM Punk, John Cena and Kurt Angle have had combined in their careers. And with four simple words. Kevin Nash tweets in response to this houses, merchandise sales, and the internet lost their mind <laughs> and people went, but really, I mean, yes. I mean, some of it. Ke Kevin Nash's tweet has 1,435 retweets as we're discussing it one day later, Wow, 11,500 likes 410 quote tweets. It became heavily debated wow. because it brought into focus a long, yeah. I mean, a long standing debate with what internet fans, AKA the smart Mark fans, AKA guys like me who have subscribed to the wrestling observer newsletter literally for 25 years. I've been a subscriber for 25 years and it brought about what's more important, having good matches or drawing good money. And if you go back and you ask a guy like Al snow, who had a similar debate 10 years ago, what was the best match on WrestleMania three? He would say 
Hogan Andre. Most of us would say Savage Steamboat. And I would argue people came to see Hogan Andre. They didn't come to see Savage Steamboat. Yes, it maybe was a better match once the bell rang, but people wanted to see Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. And Bruce Pritchard has argued, and so has Eric Bischoff and so many others, quote unquote, what the fuck is a five-star match? And here's the reality of that. I've always viewed it as it's one guy's opinion. Sort of like once upon a time, I grew up on Siskel and Ebert and you found out, did this movie have two thumbs up or one thumbs up or thumbs in the middle, whatever. But Siskel and Ebert made that a big deal when I was a kid. And so when a movie got two thumbs up, you're like, oh, well, let's go check this out. But Jeff, you've been one of the guys having matches rated by Dave Meltzer. You've also promoted shows that were rated by Dave Meltzer, but I don't think you ever got a check from him. I don't think his opinion ever paid a utility bill for your family or household. So you had to be pretty laser focused on business as a promoter, but as one of the talent, I am curious wear your wrestler hat for a minute. How important, or is it important at all to have a quote unquote five-star match? I saw the, I didn't, I'm still kind of dumbfounded at how much traction that reply that Kevin, whoever runs it, Kevin, uh, Kevin runs his social has got to love Kevin Nash because Kevin, no, who runs the, what it wrestling banana or yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. whoever, whoever, anyway, I say all that to say, um, I've had an epiphany. Old double J's had an epiphany. Dave Meltzer is a troll. He's trolling the internet. Him giving, I'm kidding, Conrad, but him giving Osprey four matches in a month, five stars. He knew, he knows he's getting in the headlines with that. There's no doubt in my mind. It also goes to clearly point out that what is, yes, it's opinion. I'll agree with you. But what is his metric? Like, what is the metric Dave is using? It's how well is, he liked it. At, at, oh, for sure. But is it X amount of false finishes? No. X amount of high spots? Is it? It's 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 his opinion, right? Yes. And the 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 discussion of how many people were there, or in Kevin's tweet, how much merchandise was sold, and all that. It's like we're not even discussing apple and oranges. It, it's it, again, I think now a match is viewed as a performance, if you will, and that's the evolution of the business. Like well, or hate it. You said business though, and I think that's what I think that's what Kevin I haven't asked Kevin about this. I guess okay. in an interest of total transparency, when I saw that response, I sent it to you by on Twitter DM because I wanted you to see that when everyone was having a conversation on performance, Kevin Nash brought the conversation back to business. Yeah. Because it is the wrestling business. Yeah, it, yes, it sure is. And, and Jay-Z, the rapper, not the cop who runs around with Bojangles in North Carolina. He has a famous lyric. Would you rather be overpaid or underrated? And I think we know which one Kevin Nash would pick. Kevin Nash would pick overpaid every time. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it is a different approach. I think there is a, a pride of performance that 
a wrestler probably has most wrestlers. I'm not a wrestler. What the fuck do I know? But I'm just saying, I think the Jeff Jarrett, I know when he goes through the curtain, he probably wants to make sure everybody got their money's worth. He wants to go steal the show. He wants to have a great performance. He wants to excel. I only say that because I know how much you prep for our podcasts. And even before we do panels where we're going to say the same thing we've said four other years in a row, <laughs> you want to prep. And that that's a pride of, of performance that you have. And so I'm curious from your perspective as a, as a wrestler, are you able to separate the two? I mean, cause I, I, the, the I, merch I sale say- metric is, is a metric of who's over, right? So it's a matter of, do you want to be over with the, with the ticket buyer, with the person who spends money at the, at the turnstile and buys the pay-per-view and buys the t-shirt and buys the action figure, or do you want to be over with the critic? And I'll say this, and I won't, you may need to help me clean this up, but I say it as sincerity. I often viewed through my entire career, if I get a high star rating. And I say a high star two, three, four, I almost look at that as a negative because then it's viewed much more as a performance, as opposed to capturing emotion. The Ric Flair last match was probably what a negative seven stars. He didn't rate it out of respect for Jeff. I'm sure out of respect for Rick. He didn't rate it, which to, uh, Applause. I'm happy. It's almost the same when, when you're getting heat and you hear the chant, this is awesome. That immediately tells me that the fan base, the audience live is viewing this as, oh, wow. Aren't those boys having fun out there? This is an awesome little display of get togetherness or a, uh, what a little run of high spots they had. That, that type of that, that's the look that, and I'm not spitting in the wind and I'm not fighting evolution. I, I understand all that, but you go back and watch in Hogan rock. This is awesome. Chance were around during that time. They weren't chanting that the emotion just wraps you up when Aaron Rodgers throws a bomb and a guy goes for, in for a touchdown, the people in the audience don't saying this is awesome or whatever it is, you still got it. No, they're not chanting that. That's kind of a play along, sing along type deal. That's like an in ring. When you're really performing, I believe at a high level, the emotion takes over. When Cody Rhodes came through the stage at Mania and that emotion, I mean, it's like you can't manufacture real emotion. So this is awesome and five stars and all those kind of things that go with it. I'm not fighting it. I'm not downplaying it, but I do not think it equates to money. I just don't. I don't think it equates to dollars. I haven't ever seen proof that five-star, whether it's Meltzer or Keller or anybody other, anybody else, if you're rating a match, I don't have any correlation into making money. Well, I mean, I think that's, I don't think that's even the issue. I, I, I think that's fair. I think it just becomes a personal point of pride. I mean, Sure. You know, like, what are you trying? So like you, you, we were together at podcast movement and we had a wonderful lady. I think she's in the first or second row. Ask a great question about, she wanted to start a podcast for folks who were suffering from uh, heart yep. failure, but she asked, should she expand that footprint beyond just talking about heart failure as a topic or subjects? And should she just talk about heart disease and any other heart ailment? And my 
answer to her question was in fact, another question, which is less than ideal, but I asked, Hey, what's the intention? Why, why are we doing a podcast? Are we doing it because we want to have as big of a podcast as we can and make as much money as we can and make it a for-profit business venture, or is it just a passion project? And she said it was her passion. And I said, just do, just do heart failure, do the thing you're most passionate about. And I do believe there are a certain amount of folks who get into wrestling who just really want to be a part of it. They just love wrestling. They don't care if on TV or sure, or make a bunch of money or sure, or retire. They, they, they love it. And I think that's fantastic. And, and, and I get solicited about, I want to start a wrestling podcast. We'll just do it. They're free. I mean, you can go, I mean, just go do it. I mean, that sounds silly, but put it on YouTube and go do it. Doesn't cost anything. Anybody can do it. It's a matter of what are you trying to get out of it? And, and, and it's clear to me that Will Ospreay is trying to have the best quality matches in the world right now. And based on all the critics, he is so kudos to him, but I don't think that was Kevin Nash's intent when he got in. I don't think Kevin Nash said, man. If I can fucking, that's just not a thing. Like, Hey, I think Kevin Nash got in the business to make as much money as he could and to have the the best quality of life for him and his family as, as they could purpose. Yes. Purpose Purpose is the answer. I not agree more. Yeah. Yes. What, 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 what problem is the wrestling business going to solve for Kevin Nash? It was put money in his pockets. What problem is the wrestling industry going to solve for Will Ospreay? It is to he his what he wants to achieve as the best in ring performer judged by Dave Meltzer. How, well, not by Dave Meltzer, I, I, but, I, yeah, but Dave f- Meltzer's yes maybe. fulfillment. That's what we're looking for. What's going to yeah. make you feel fulfilled? Financial success or critical success? And I know Kevin Nash would rather have financial success. What would Jeff Jarrett rather have? Financial. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, when you just said that uh, Uber driver the other day, picked me up. So from my house to the airport's about 45 minutes, sometimes a little, little more, sometimes a little less. And he's, we're chatting it up and Hey man, I got a demo here. I want you to hear another demo, know the demo. And he's asking, I want your honest feedback. And he, I said, all right, l- let me hear the third song. Cause I've heard two. And after I heard him, I'm like, I want to hear. I sort of went through, not as good as you do, Conrad. What are you looking to get out of this? Do you want radio play? Do you want to make money? Or do you want to play music? Because he plays at a couple of spots around town. And he goes, well, radio. And we had that, shared that common discussion that radio is different than it was. And it's not quite, it, the strategy just completely different. And, and it's payola and it, it, you know, the streaming world that that's all changed. So anyway, we narrowed it back down to, he likes to play live music in Nashville with a crowd. It doesn't have to be 3000. Doesn't have to be 5,000. The place he plays at on, I think he said Wednesday and Saturday nights that he's got a standing gig. He said, the most we can get in there's about 200 folks, but there's usually about a hundred. And I said, do you like it? He said, I absolutely. I said, how long do you play? He said, they asked me for three and I'll stay for five. I said, well then buddy song. Number one is your deal. It's a jingle. It's a sing along and you're having all kind of fun. The others you're trying to get on radio play. And it, it's, it's just really, really tough. And he was mid forties, 
you know, he wasn't a young guy. So anyway, that kind of discussion had on music. So do you want critical acclaim? Do you want personal fulfillment or do you want to go make money? And again, I don't think there's a wrong answer. I just think I definitely don't think there is. Absolutely. There's not. I appreciate Kevin Nash bringing it back to business, but I also appreciate that a guy like Will Ospreay. And by the way, I think this is a smart strategy. I don't know what Will Ospreay's plans and hopes and aspirations are, but I do know if you want to get attention from certain folks in power and wrestling here in America, you go have kick-ass matches in Japan and we're all going to hear about it. And Will Ospreay's done that and done a fantastic job with it. So I hope that nobody took this as a, t- a, a takeaway from this is shitting on Osprey or Nash. Cause I think both of them have checked their boxes in wrestling. Like realistically, I don't know how much else there is for will Osprey to accomplish. It feels like he's checked all the boxes there are to check in new Japan. And if that's where he wants to spend the rest of his career, I mean, he kind of did most all of it already, uh, at a very young age and, and Kevin Nash, man, he was getting those big checks. Uh, before a lot of folks. So he probably checked all of his boxes too. Um, so it's it good to healthy discussion. Here's the thing that has always been a little bit of a head scratcher for me is either the injury or the potential for injury based off the style you work. And at 40 years of age, uh, 50 years of age, just trying to give him a little guidance and look back and go, man, you are broken down. Was it worth it? I don't know. I mean, I, I, look, we could talk in circles on this, but I don't know that that's to me. Sometimes I want to grab some guys and just say, Hey man, it's your life. It's your career. But I've seen some guys that as they move around in their mid forties, even not even fifties and sixties was the ROI there in day to day life. I don't know. I asked Mick Foley that and he wasn't sure. Mm. And Mick Foley sacrificed more than most. And he, oh, and he, worked, he worked the craziest, most violent, most brutal style. And even he had to contemplate that over on our podcast, Foley's pod. But to All your right, point, right. go ahead. I really want that to sink in. Uh, mm-hmm. sometimes as the podcast has rolled on in this last year and a half, as far as different folks that are at different stages and listening on this business, the biggest box office attraction, in my opinion, in the history of the business with the hardcore style, mm-hmm. Harry Funk was pre the, the, the big, 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 you know, but Mick Foley in, uh, and I hate to just Put it in that, but you know where I'm going with it. In the hardcore style, New York Times bestseller, Hall of Famer, legendary, the stage show. I mean, he is, Conrad, is it safe to say he's the biggest box office attraction in the hardcore style? I don't think it's close. I, okay. So with that being said, if he told you he's not sure, just by the odds of it, I hope some folks think through if they're contemplating a very, very high risk move period. I'm not going to say in front of a hundred people. I'm not well, going to no, say, no, but let, I mean, listen, just doing it. let's just talk about that though. Cause if this is really what we're talking about, who would ever play football? 
knowing what we know about head trauma and CTE, why would you ever put the helmet on again? I put it on when I was five years old. I mean, I was raised hitting motherfuckers. Like that's what you did. And, and, and when you got a concussion, when you played football in Alabama, back out there, get back out there, you got your bell rung, which meant you came out for one play and then you were back, rub some dirt on it and go knock his goddamn dick in the dirt. That's Ray Holder to a seven-year-old. I mean, that's what it is. And we didn't know any better. And now we know better, but I'm saying they're still playing football this weekend at a high level. So I'm just saying all that to say, I don't know that I want to say, well, let's not do anything that's dangerous. I do believe I didn't in the, say that. No, no, I, no, no, I know, no. I know, but I'm just I, saying you and I have seen some, some, some pretty gruesome, horrific injuries in wrestling where really, and truly it didn't look like anything like the, the, the wreck that killed Dale Earnhardt didn't look all that bad. We've seen so many more spectacular crashes and they walked away and then Dale not that I'm not even a big race fan, but I, even I was like, well, that that's nothing compared to the Allison's or whatever. You know what I mean? And oh, yeah. gone because there's just that inherent risk there. I don't think anybody would have thought like nobody would have ever said, well, boy, big E works a dangerous style. You know what I mean? Like, and it just, it just happened. And I think that risk is always there, but I do think, Hey, there is a pride of performance that will Osprey likes knowing Hey, I'm the best wrestler in the world. People want to be the best and they also oh. want to be the, the, the best paid, but I'm saying, no, they want to be the best and they're willing to sacrifice that yes. I, I, hats off. I'm, I'm all for that. I guess I'm saying is that there's some bumps out there that take place. If you go back and look at Jeff Hardy's career, yeah. he's taking some crazy, crazy. But when you really look down to it, he was safe. Yeah. He, he to me, he was safe. And I'm saying you, you can do crazy big stunts and bumps and still be safe. And then you can do average where you're not really thinking it through and a piece of glass, whatever we're probably getting in a rabbit hole, but I just no, think we're, we're all the way in the rabbit hole, but it's fine because this is a conversation. A lot of people are happening or having right now. And, and, and I guess it all goes back to what's the intent. What's the purpose? What's your goal? Yeah. If, if your goal is to be regarded by the critics as being the best wrestler in the world, take the will Ospreay, Kenny Omega, AJ styles route, because all of those guys are in the conversation. Every single time we open our mouth about, you know, the best wrestlers in the world. And if you want to be the highest paid wrestler in the world, we'll take the Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns route. And those are two <laughs> totally different things. I don't know that will Ospreay would be fulfilled if he was in Roman Reigns spot. And I don't know that Roman Reigns would feel fulfilled if he was in will Ospreay spot and neither well, guy's bad. wrong. You know, well it's just, they're both doing their own. So I guess what I'm saying is, Hey man, this life is what you make it. And, and when it comes to those type decisions, the one thing Jeff and I always agree on is we're going to be making some meat on a rec tech, baby. Rec tech has changed our life. Uh, I have to admit, Jeff and I were both a couple of dumbasses because we were running around fidgeting with these messy charcoal grills that we would have to go preheat for an hour and make sure we had enough of that dirty ass hardwood lump charcoal. And then we'd have to clean out the ash tool. And every now and again, we'd have to just refurb it. And if we want to smoke something, well, we better stay up, stay up all night and sit by it with a cold beer and make sure it's all right. Cause we got to make sure that air flows just right. We were a couple of dumbasses who were introduced to the rec tech. They started just $399. They got grills for every lifestyle and every budget. 
They have a key focus on flavor, convenience, and versatility, and their factory direct pricing eliminates the middleman. Oh, by the way, all their grills shipped for free. But not only that, I have to admit, I had another wood pellet smoker before. It's not near the quality of this one. Side by side, there is no comparison. This is a much higher quality product. It's built to last a lifetime. I'm talking about their flagship model from Rectech, the RT 700. It comes with a 40 pound pellet hopper. Let me explain what that means. You're going to dump 40 pounds of pellets in there and you don't have to fool with it again for a long time. That's a lot of smoking. It's a lot of smoking space too. You got 702 square inches of cooking space means you could feed a, a small army. And sometimes Jeff has to, he's got youngins every which way. The PID Wi-Fi controller game changer. Now my other wood pellet grill, they said they had this. They don't have it like Rectech. You could turn on your grill. You could turn off your grill. You can turn the heat up. You can turn the heat down. You can do it from your phone, but most importantly, you can dial in the temperature. Jeff and I, we were out there guessing before. If we wanted to check the temperature of our meat, we had to lift the grill. We had to stick a probe in. We had to see what we could see. Now, dude, I'm like farting in the couch and I'm looking at my phone. Oh, meat's done two degrees away. I never burn anything. Everything's cooked perfect every time. And it's because Rectech has it dialed in. Not only that, they've got your back with a six year bumper to bumper warranty. And when I say you can do everything on this grill, I mean it. You can bake. Yes. People are putting cakes on their Rectech. That's real. My wife made peanut butter cookies on the Rectech this past weekend. Not kidding around. You can also smoke stuff. You want to smoke a brisket, smoke a turkey. No problem. You want to sear something? Got it. You just want to grill some hamburgers? No problem. They tell me you can dehydrate. I haven't done that yet, but I've done everything else. And it was all with the push of a button. So get rid of that tasteless gas grill. You should be ashamed of yourself. Throw out the messy ass charcoal grill that your wife's intimidated by. Mine was. And forget that overhyped brand name grill. Join an elite wood pellet grilling family. They're focusing on flavor, convenience, and versatility. Rectech truly has set a new standard in grilling. I love mine. Jeff loves his. It's R-E-C-T-E-Q.com. And use that code Jarrett5 to get 5% off everything site-wide. Not just the grills. Yes, you get 5% off there. But they're awesome coolers, their rubs and sauces, the accessories, the merch. Everything's 5% off at Rectech.com. That's R-E-C-T-E-Q.com. And the promo code is Jarrett5. So, Jeff, let's, uh, after we've just got really sidebarred here, let's talk about what we were let's pick up where we left off. <laughs> I guess so. The, Get out of that rabbit hole, Conrad. The, um, the lit up neon cowboy country singer who's tagging with the man with flames tattooed on his head to take on one of the largest individuals of all time and a clown. He then is going to appear on superstars wrestling a garbage man. That's right. Duke, the dumpster trosse. Let's class it up a little bit. Meltzer would say Jarrett got the pin with his feet on the ropes. Oscar came to ringside and told the ref Jarrett punched Oscar, which brought out Mabel as Jarrett was running from Mabel. The ref had restarted the match and Jeff was counted out. So Jeff, tell us about the time you wrestled the garbage man. It got a little, uh, old Duke got a win over double J uh, on a count out. Uh, again, you can just kind of, when you, when you read through all that, all the different characters, TL, you didn't get a TL hopper. You didn't get a, uh, anyway, a character after character after character. That's the not occupation me. gimmicks is what it's called. The occupation era. Yeah. We just renamed it. It wasn't the new generation era. It was the occupation era. Yeah. That was, it. um, but you know, gosh, um, and not to get off in the weeds, but let's just say Oscar was not familiar with the wrestling industry. And so he was a rapper, right. but did have 
any. Can I say that, Conrad? Yeah. Like zero training. So when you're telling him that he has to come down and say that Double J the heel cheated to, I mean, we were walking him through things, Conrad. He just didn't have any concept of the industry at this point. He literally, was, as I said, threw down a rap in front of Vince McMahon. And, uh, you know, Vince could have been running a circus and he'd have got a job at the circus or could have been running a baseball team and he'd have been the new mascot. Vince, <laughs> fortunately, was running the wrestling industry. You got, yeah, because I mean, he had some charisma, but no context of wrestling. So challenging times to say the least. And, you know, there were, uh, there was a lot of talent there that wasn't seasoned when right. you look at the roster at that time. They just weren't. So, uh, Lots of fun of reindeer games during those times. You think Duke, the dumpsters, Rose would have wanted more five-star matches or bigger paydays. If you had to guess, I don't, I don't know Duke, but you know, Duke a little bit. What would he have preferred? I, I can assure you he'd want the payday. Well, that's disappointing. I would have loved to have seen him tear it down. Yeah. See, you're just gigging me. See how you are. There I we just, go. I just want you to get, you know, the hate that I feel for you. Go turn it on CBS. Just go um, turn it on CBS. So this is the first time the United Center has going to be uh, used after they're replacing the Chicago Stadium. Uh, we've touched on uh, last week how big of a deal it is for you to be in the house that Michael Jordan built. Hmm. Uh, the show draws twenty three thousand people. Nineteen thousand and five hundred of them were paying customers. So this is happening in a time where business is down. I mean, even Bruce agrees that ninety four ninety five the business was just at an all time WWF low. And here we are with 19,000 here. It feels, would this have been the biggest crowd you would have worked in front of at this point in your career? It's gotta be Yeah, at the research. It's, it's, it's gotta be in Japan. I think I wrestled Yokohama arena, but I don't think it broke 20,000. I did Japan, Yokohama, Russell Sano and WWF as part of those. Anyway, uh, that was early nineties, but you know, Puerto Rico wouldn't have had these houses. Uh, Dallas certainly didn't have, you know, 23,000. That building in 94, the garden's big, you know, obviously the form back in those days and LA sports arena, but you know, a brand new building like the United center, it was special. I mean, there's no two ways about it. Sweetness, uh, Walter Payton, mm-hmm. you know, just the Leslie the Nielsen. Whole, I mean, lots of folks bears run and I will get into it, but yeah, it was a, a big event, lots of sports entertainment around the entire product, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a big deal. It was a really big, obviously Chicago, the market, as, as we know, uh, ADW success in that market, WWE Rosemont arise. It just, it's a big deal. In so many ways, Razor Ramon's going to defeat Diesel for the Intercontinental Title. Uh, Shawn Michaels is in Diesel's corner. Walter Payton is in Razor Ramon's. That's a big deal. Uh, Tatanka's going to turn heel and join the Million Dollar Corporation and turn on Lex Luger in the process. And for your match, believe it or not, it's not Jim Ross and Vince McMahon. It's Jerry the King Lawler, which has got to be a big deal for you personally. And then I, I was able to watch the match this morning. We're going to read the recaps from both the uh, observer and the torch. Uh, but you could tell that you, uh, had some things that were sort of go-tos that you knew would work in this match. Uh, here's what, here's what Wade Keller had to say. Oscar again, tripped over his tongue as he showed an inability to articulate the methodical rap lyrics as Mabel entered the ring. 
Jarrett strutted after hitting Mabel. Mabel hit Jeff, uh, hit Jeff Jarrett and then mocked Jarrett's squat. Uh, the fans oohed and odd as Mabel elbow dropped Jarrett. Jarrett tried to knock Mabel off his feet, but couldn't do it. He dove off the top rope and Mabel caught him. Mabel hit Jarrett with a spinning wheel kick for a near fall crowd pop for that. Uh, the camera then showed knuckleball Schwartz walking down the aisle with a picket sign. So just timeout right here. All of a sudden, two weeks prior to this or so, uh, major league baseball goes on strike. So Vince McMahon creates a character to, to piggyback that. And he has the old Brooklyn brawler paint his face up like a baseball, put on what looks like a Yankee uniform and walk down the aisle with a picket sign that says I'm on strike right in the middle of your match, which I know is exactly what you hoped for. At four and a half minutes, Jarrett went after Oscar, but Mabel caught Jarrett after a long delay and held him as Oscar slapped him. Mabel then charged Jarrett into the ring post. Mabel dove off the second rope and splatted on the mat. When Jarrett moved, Mabel tossed Jarrett off and over the referee at the two count. And at the finish in one of the only ways a quote unquote, 500 plus pound wrestler can lose Mabel missed a sit splash and Jarrett quickly hooked his legs for a pin. Oscar and Mabel chase Jarrett back to the locker room. Just a time filler, nothing horrible, but certainly nothing good. One star only so much you can do here. Uh, but you hooking the big leg here for the pin. Hey man, I wrestled in front of the biggest crowd ever on the second biggest show of the year for the company and got a win. Not a bad day at the office for old double J. And it was again, for, for me, it was the, the, the feeling of, okay, double J's rolling along. What, what, what's next razor was, you know, he was over red hot. Sean, Kevin was getting, uh, you know, you know, rolling along as well. Uh, but obviously Brett knowing on this show coming off mania at 90, you know, a couple of months before it was a big card, super successful. I was happy to get the win. I remember doing the, if you saw the match Conrad, the one, two kick out. And I flew over the ref. Yeah. That got a really good live. I don't know how it came across, uh, on, on, uh, watching it back, but live, it got a hell of a pop. Meltzer would, uh, have a similar review. Um, by the way, it's interesting to see the differences here. The torch said your match went five forty five. Meltzer said your match went five fifty five. Not that it matters, but it is worth pointing out. You know, there's objective and subjective. So like if we had an appraisal done on your house today, Jeff, we would take a look at the objective, how many bedrooms, how many baths, how many square feet, how big is your garage? How big is the lot? All that stuff. And then we would have subjective. What's it worth when we compare it to other houses? And that's where we would look at comparable sales. So there's two pieces, objective and subjective. Not only do these guys have different scores for the match, meaning in their opinion, Wade thought it was a one-star match. Dave thought it was a three-quarter star match. They also didn't agree on how long the match was. And that <laughs> feels like we should be able to nail that one. Uh, but Meltzer says, I was surprised they had a guy that large do such a clean finish for someone so small. Yeah. Now I get that in theory, we're talking about David versus Goliath. I get it. But in this era, this new generation era, I wouldn't consider you quote unquote, so small. Would you? No, but I mean, D- Dave, again, um, it, it's his creative writing, if you will. I won't call it fiction. I'll call it creative writing. I mean, that's it. I also say that they were 10 seconds off. There might've been a typo in there, Conrad. They might've tried to be both trying to be objective, but 
think it could have been a typo. Let's not be so harsh. Oh, oh I'm five, I'm harsh. Listen to you. Five star Dave. So, talk to me about putting this match together. Do you remember who the agent was? Gosh, I don't. Um, those are the kind of things that, you know, guys who write down their matches and the finishes of their matches and the time length and maybe who the producer was. I, I don't remember. My gut would tell me Pat probably had a say in it, but maybe Chief J. Strongbow. Maybe. Did you have a preference? I like working with them all. Uh, Gurria, uh, sometimes trying to pull a finish out of him, but I like Ren- Rene Goulet, Tony Gurria, Chief J. Strongbow, Jack Lanza, um, obviously Pat. Jack was really good. Uh, he had a good rapport. Uh, you know, that they all had different shades of creativity. Yeah. But, 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 um, but Jack had a good, rapport, a great rapport with talent. Um, when, when you're putting together this match, is it something where you're calling it all in the ring or in 94, or are you starting to work through some of that in the back, especially with a guy who's or this? And I'd probably say that with entrances and everything, we had 10, maybe, and we had the old knuckleballer coming down. So you had to time that I'd say pretty much everything, uh, was laid out. I always would talk to Nelson in the ring to try to, again, the flow and the energy and, and whatever it may be, you know, the GIF GIF that keeps on giving the strut spot and all that. We had done that multiple times on different levels, you know, in Tennessee, he was the heel. I was the baby face, but we, we had done shades of this in the tags around the horn. We didn't try anything new. I'll say that for this match. Talk to me a little bit about the rest of the card in this era. Are you sticking around to see the main event and all the matches or are you getting in your oh, yeah. bag and okay. No. Yeah. Watching it. What'd you think of, uh, of Brett and Owens cage match? You obviously thought a lot of their WrestleMania match. Now they're back in the big blue cage. Uh, what'd you think of that one? So the premise of a W at this time, WWF, WWE cage match of one guy walking out. Yeah. The escape, the escape was, you know, not what the, you were raised I, on. Yeah. No, it's, it's the exact opposite. The cage was used to keep anybody from, yeah, as we, everybody knows this, nobody can get in and nobody can get out. That's what you put them in there. The WWE cage match is you, you, you fight and you're actually trying to run from your opponent or get away from your opponent to win the match. Mm-hmm. So we had done many high spots in Tennessee that the heel tries to the beginning of the match, ding, ding, try to run and get out of the cage and you pull them back in. So just the psychology was different, but Brett was obviously a seasoned pro and Owen as as well. But in those cage matches once and look, the WWE audience there understood that understood the steps that the, the psychology is we're going to lay this guy out. Then you have the ability to get out. So it's a different psychology, but I love the story of Brett knowing it had such a real authenticity. Look, Taker versus Taker that we'll get to in a minute uh, had all kinds of showbiz to it. The Brett Owen was a storyline, which is an angle. It's a personal issue that everybody can relate to big brother, little brother. I love that kind of stuff and their match, their matches. I mean, they had matches in overseas. They had them around the horn. I mean, awesome, great matches. Really? I think. It'd be kind of cool if we 
podcast. Just like Owen, what do you think about your run of cage matches with Brett? Like I'd love to hear like his opinion on it. Cause I thought as far as maybe, and I don't want to take, make light of this, but maybe in, in Japan or even in Calgary, Owen might've had those four or five star type performance matches. But as far as personal issues, if not the best of Owen's career, they have to rank right up there top top of it because they beat the hell out of each other. It was it was gritty, high psychology level. It was at a high level that their psychology in their matches was at a very very high level. I love the finish that they did in the Garden at WrestleMania ten. So uh, it was very very good. Uh, I can't say enough good about it. As you mentioned, the main event is Undertaker versus Under Faker. Um, of course, Mark Calloway winds up beating Brian Lee, and the WWF never mentioned it again. We would see Brian Lee as part of the Disciples of Apocalypse. He had a little cup of coffee with ECW as the bulldozer, and famously a series of matches in SMW as well, Smoky Mountain. And as far as you, you're going to hook up and have some house show matches in late 94 with Mabel, and then you're going to work him seemingly every other night for the November European Tour where you hit Germany, Australia, and Switzerland. Any fun memories of working with Mabel in any of these matches over the years? Any any spot that stick out or travel moment or anything like that? To go back real quick on the Brian Lee Undertaker, that's another guy that to kind of give full context. Came up from Florida. He was original buddies with the Harris brothers. He came to Nashville. Um, actually, I don't think he ever got married, but he, he had a fiance. He had, you know, <clears throat> so to see him get that opportunity, that was really cool. Yes. I mean, talk about a high profile match. Yes. Again, Mark in those days with that story and with the Le- Leslie Nielsen, <clears throat> which I mentioned last week, so entertaining those vignettes, but it just sold tickets and pay-per-views. Cause you knew as you know, again, that's the first time that I was, not the first time, but I was actually a part of the showbiz component of it. It's really cool. But uh, Mabel on the international tour, we were both very happy. We both knew we could go out, 8, 10, 12-minute match, make it entertaining, lots of struts, uh, lots of him kicking my ass for the you know uh, middle part of the match, and then uh, a short set of heat, did some couple of things. Uh, he would miss that... Um, uh, big, big squish. Uh, I'd roll out of the way and grab one and get heat out of it and roll on. So we enjoyed our international tours together. We worked a lot in the, in the, uh, fall of 94. Eventually Mabel would turn heel, win the King of the ring and even main event next year's SummerSlam against diesel. But of course you had walked out of the company by that point, but were you surprised to see Mabel in that top spot against Kevin Nash one year later? No. Remember, I, I said that I, I really thought, and, you know, play armchair quarterback, what ifs, what if he would have come into the WWF as a monster heel and his first opponent would have been Brett? Different career trajectory, just, just a, a, a different, if he would have debuted on the scene as a monster heel that was mean and kick ass. And maybe had a mouthpiece, maybe had a talker with him, not, not Oscar, no disrespect, but, but a heel mouthpiece, what would his career have looked like? You never know, but I definitely was not surprised to see him get that main event slot the following year. 
when you return later in the year, uh, you both wind up disappearing from the company around the same time after the rumble in 96, did you keep in touch with him uh, later on in life? Or was this just a moment in time for you guys? I would see him from time to time, but no, we didn't stay day to day. You know, we didn't stay in touch day to day. Uh, I do think he made his home in Memphis. He came there as a, as we said, a 22, 22 year old man, but I think he ended up staying and taking up residence and Memphis became his home. Talk to me a little bit about his reputation, uh, right or wrong. A lot of people said that he was dangerous and that he would hurt guys. I don't think it ever happened intentionally or maliciously, but even Kevin Nash had an injury situation with him. Is it a function of he was reckless? He was careless. He would get gassed or just, Hey man, you can't be that big and not crack an egg every now and again uh, to me. Uh, and we've touched on it. Uh, it's kind of right. I love doing this podcast because it, it, it gives me clarity, but too much too soon. Yeah. Owens, uh, Owens, uh, Mabel's first 90 days in a lot of ways, branded him for his entire career, mm -hmm. maybe a little reckless, which he wasn't, he was just green. Um, he was, a a big comedy character, if you will, that it was very hard to overcome, uh, in the years to come, but Hey, it, it's just kind of how life happens. Uh, but he, he was never reckless by the attitude of, I don't care. He's a 450, 500 pound man. It, it's just that that's, that's the reality of it. By the way, I want to mention that to IWTV.live is independent wrestling's premier streaming service for live events and video on demand of past events. If you saw Wheeler Utah versus Daniel Garcia on AEW, check out IWTV.live as they had an even better match for the IWTV title. And you can check out the likes of uh, Eddie Kingston, Masato Tanaka, Jonathan Gresham, and so many more for just 10 bucks a month. IWTV.live offers 20 plus events streamed live each month from top independent wrestling. And just this past week, they had 10 live events. That's a dollar an event. Y'all there's no better value in wrestling streaming today. Also as an IWTV.live subscriber, you have immediate access to their extensive library of over 13,000 hours of video on demand content for more than 300 independent wrestling promotions from all over the world, like beyond wrestling, prestige wrestling, absolute intense wrestling, and H2O. You can watch IWTV.live anytime, anywhere on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon TV fire stick. And of course you got the mobile apps for Apple and Android devices. There's no long-term contracts required. Just go to IWTV.live. And subscribe today for just $10 a month. That's IWTV.live. Lots of questions. I don't think there's any way we'll get to all of them. Uh, Ted Bo wants to know, JJ actually really got a good match out of Mabel. I'm sick of the narrative that Mabel sucked. Probably just depends on who his dance partner was. Mabel versus JJ is a hidden gem. Jason would say, is there some kind of running joke behind this match? Everyone who was there shouts this match out when they're talking about the show. I think punk in recent years, even mentioned that he was at this show live and thought this match was a great match. Um, uh, LVL 32 says, wait, Oh, wait, wait a minute. Say that again. Punk liked it. People live really liked this match. They, they, they give it their props. They listen. I think people had an, the key to life is managing expectations. You and I've talked about that a lot. Okay. And I yeah. think, I think you had a lot of heat here and I think a lot of people hated you here. So they just naturally thought, I hate him. This is going to suck. And then they see Mabel and they kind of roll their eyes and they're like, oh, this rap game, this is going to suck. And then the match to me, it sees all those expectations. 
I turned it on this morning thinking this is going to fucking suck. It didn't. Now I didn't turn it on thinking I was going to see, as you said, a Mac classic. I turned it on thinking, Oh God, here we go. I got you. All right. I'll sell that. And when it was done, it was like, fuck, that was actually pretty good. (laughs) And listen, I'll never forget. And boy, I'm probably oversharing here, but I was fortunate enough to be at the AEW show where Cody wrestled Shaq Shaquille O'Neal. And beforehand, you know, he, he texted me and said, Hey, where are you at? And I said, Oh, I'm wherever it was. And he said, Hey, come to the dressing room. So I came and found he had his own dressing room with Brandy and he's getting ready. And, and I, we're just making casual conversation. And I said, man, you nervous, anxious, excited. He goes, it's going to go one of two ways. It's either going to be a giant train wreck or it won't be that bad. The idea being he had this pride of performance where he wants his matches to be so good, but because it's a celebrity mixed tag, blah, blah, blah. He felt like he had to have realistic expectations. Like, man, if people just say, well, that wasn't that bad, then it's a win. Because at this point, Shaq's never wrestled. Like, Hell think about no. that. Like he's having his first match on TV live in front of people. And there's a table spot. There's so seven feet tall and, 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 and probably has a few injuries here or there. You can't play at a high level at that weight, at that height, that long and not pick up a few bumps and bruises. And now we're just, we're not going to have a a gym match. We're not going to tape it and edit it up. It's live. And so much could go wrong that Cody just had the right expectation of, man, I'm just hoping for not that bad. And by the way, it was fucking awesome because I went in, I watched it thinking, man, Cody's not so sure about this. He just wants it to be not that bad. So when he comes back through, he just looks at me like, what'd you think? I said, not that bad. (laughs) That was the proper expectation. And I think this match on paper, everybody's like, uh, but then holy shit, that was pretty good. You may give you a little inside baseball. Yeah. I I haven't seen it back, but I'd like to. When men on a missing music hit, Mm -hmm. did the people come alive? I'm banking. They did a little bit, a little bit. I say all that to say music can create emotion yes or you ever see anybody out there and if there's a good beat and a good vibe and something that grabs you emotionally it helps things i didn't say it, it doesn't cover up things but it definitely helps things and an oscar brought energy now i didn't bring any energy to the match but there is there's a presentation is huge to a live audience well, and listen, that's what I wanted to say earlier. The obvious, obviously. Terry Funk had a, a line that he um, he told Dave Meltzer that Dave Meltzer writes about sometimes, where he says, "You you wrestle for the crowd that's there. So if you're oh. gonna, if you're going to judge a match based on is it this stars or that stars, you can't watch it on tape ten years later and give it an assessment. You have to." You have to be in the building with those people, which is something you and I talked about not too long ago. We talked about Ric Flair's last match. I got a story on that. Because if you, if you take a look at the feedback you see online from people who watched it on TV or, or fight or what have you, they thought it was an abomination and the worst thing ever. And oh my God, I can't believe this is real. And this is horrible and yada, yada. I didn't hear none of that live. And from everyone I've talked to who was there live, they still are texting and emailing and and DMing me how amazing it was. And I think that Terry Funk rule of thumb of you wrestle for the folks who were in the building that night and that specific time and place. And on that specific time and place, you and Mabel exceeded expectations. What was your story? I can't leave in church a couple of weeks ago, Conrad, 
And a guy walked up to me and he said, Hey man, come here, Jeff. He says, man, I was impressed with your energy. And he's kind of giggling all this. And I said, I said, do you watch it? He said, no, I was there. I took my son and he goes into it. And he said, my brother who's eight, nine years older, blah, 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 blah. He said, he's the one who got me into it. He didn't get to go, but I told him how good it was and blah, blah, blah. I mean, he was just really into it. The son was into it and they loved it. And my son was like, I think this is the best event I've ever been to live. And he went to AAA and this and that. And he says, expectations. We were worried about Rick. They follow everything, all this. And like, you know, you and Jay, he was just super complimentary to, to all of it. And so he tells his brother and his brother watches it and goes, oh, that's pretty good. And he's like, I was let down that he didn't think it was the greatest thing in the world. And he, and he's the one that got me into the nature boy. And he's the one that got me into TBS and he's their old school. You know, the, the son is 31 or 32. So there's a father son deal. Anyway, you hit the point. They were there live and the son's 31, 32. He thinks it's the best live show he's ever been to. And the, the guy he's 60s, he's got to be late sixties. He watched it and is the original wrestling fan. And he's like, ah, it's all right. You wrestle for those who were there that night and those right. who were there that night really dug it. Um, yep. uh, Liam Evans wants to know, and this is some of that same narrative we were talking about earlier, earlier, how snug was Mabel in the ring? So, boy, you want to talk about inside baseball or story behind the story. So I use the word snug is somebody who's works tight mm -hmm. that not a lot of daylight that, that no potatoes, all this. So you, the question was how snug was Mabel? He was light as a feather, Got sometimes it. too light. But when you're dealing with 450 pounds, his, that could turn on a dime where he potatoed the hell out of you and didn't mean to, I mean, big time, like hurt you kind of throwing the weight around. He squashed me a couple of times or splashed me. I always call it squish me in the corner a few times where there was not a breath left in me where I had to say, maybe give me a second. And you just kind of gather, got to gather your thoughts. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do another one here. Michael Cohen wants to know what was the feeling like backstage with the talent regarding the whole undertaker versus under faker angle. Did talent like it or think it was super lame and not going to draw. No, my best recollection, Brian Lee was well-liked backstage. Mm -hmm. Look, he had his demons and, you know, Brian was cocky and arrogant and most of the time in a good way. Now he's rubbed a lot of folks the wrong way through the years, but for the most part, and I'll say this through the years and look in 1994, nobody could have dreamed that Mark would have had the career that he had. No, I mean, of course not. he worked with anybody and everybody at the highest level for many years. There, there is no more Cal Ripkins. There is no more undertakers. It's just that simple. Um, but the evolution of Mark's career from Hogan and Papa Shango and, you know, just however you want to say it, when they did this story and Paul Barra and Leslie Nielsen getting involved. It was a really, really, I mean, a big deal. We, we want to talk about those international tours. I mean, Mark's over, but, and look, when Brett's music was hit, would hit internationally, it'd be a great pop. 
but there was nothing quite like the gong. Mm-hmm. And when you had the opposing, you know, the under faker, but we weren't calling that. It was very intriguing on, okay, where are they going with this story? Not so much where are they going with this match? Mark is going to have his good to great match, but where are they going with the story? And to me, that's a lot of the magic of Mark's box office appeal. You knew you were going to get a good to great match, but where are they going with the story? And that's what we all buy, the story. Next week, we're going to be back taking a look at TNA 15 years ago. It's No Surrender 2007. We've got Abyss taking on Kurt Angle for the TNA title. Christian Cage facing off against Samoa Joe. Black Rain, a.k.a. Dustin Rhodes, in there against Chris Harris. Kurt Angle defending the X Division title against Jeff's former tag team partner, Jay Lethal. Plus, Kurt Angle will tag with Sting to defend the tag team titles against Pac-Man Jones, the NFL football player, and Ron Killings. Plus, we'll have all of the Congressional investigations into pro wrestling after the Crispin Wall murders. Unfortunately, Brian Adams passes away. The final negotiations to get two hours on Spike. Lots of fun stuff. I think next week we might set a recording record. We went two hours on one match with Mabel. I can't wait to see what we do next week. Conrad, get ready. You know why? We're going to make Chris Park really mad next week. Well, I love that. We are going to, he's going to be fighting mad because I'm going to tell a story on him that no, I'm kidding. But, um, well, I am, I, I am. I remember one time that silly bastard said, Joe Burrow was the next Joe Montana. <laughs> Come on, no, he, man. Mr. Park. He's just a big bunch of, well, those vignettes, the best they're still played at my house. Hey, do you know what today is also Conrad? Nope. It's game day in the Jared household. Oh, that's right. Cody going to be wearing it out, uh, up there in Hendersonville. And yes. uh, here in a couple of days, man, you and I are going to make our way and descend on down. I can't believe this is real Chicago. We're coming for you, baby money It's a podcast, super show. Check it out on fight. It's this Saturday. Y'all it's free. We in want the you ring. To, yeah, in we'll be, ring. we'll be in the ring. There'll be all of us in a wrestling ring, but you I, know what that means. I said to my wife, I said to your wife, I said to several folks, if I ever get Conrad Thompson in the ring, he's taking a guitar shot. We'll see. <laughs> Check. How do you do that? Conrad money, <laughs> money for Mongo.com. Seriously, y'all, he needs yes. our help. It's a great cause. And uh, we're going to try to entertain you, try to make you laugh. And uh, Hey, if you're on the West coast, go check out Jeff this Sunday at PAX West. We'll be back next week talking TNA from 15 years ago. And I will be here with my head intact because I ain't taking no guitar shot. We'll see you next week right here on my world. Peace, my friend. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.